the teams you care about. When you think about the Patriots' needs this offseason, look for one trait, explosiveness. The stories that matter to you. I'm not convinced that Ben Shungu, that he's not the league player of the year. This is your home for New England sports. Bobby Dahlbeck playing third base this year? Now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM and WDEVRadio.com. What's up, everybody? It is Catamount Game Day. The NCAA tournament is here. And this is the Brady Farkas Show on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. All 90 minutes today, and that takes us up until 7 o'clock. Then Jazz with George Thomas comes on. I go home. I watch the tournament. You do, too. We come back tomorrow, and hopefully we talk about a UVM game. That sounds like a good plan to me, or about a UVM win, rather. Buster Olney of ESPN is going to stop by at 545, as he does every Thursday. He's on site at spring training. He saw the Red Sox yesterday. He'll see the Red Sox again tomorrow. We get the last word on Arkansas. You hear a bit from my chat with insider John Neighbors of 103.7 The Buzz in Arkansas. And uh, an interesting conversation locally about Middlebury hockey that I think you're going to find interesting as well. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also get in on the Facebook live chat as well as the YouTube live stream. So get your comments in in any possible way. And now, Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. This is one of the best two days in sports, and that's this is widely regarded. As great as the Super Bowl is, as great as a World Series game is, there is no better day in sports than the first day of the tournament, and then the second day of the tournament. The, first, the Thursday and Friday of the opening round, these are the best days in sports. Non-stop games, 16 games per day, upsets usually galore, great games galore, great memories galore, David versus Goliath stories. Like This is the best day, and tomorrow, the best days in sports. Here's what's happened so far. The early games largely went chalk. Largely. Now, we saw uh, Providence beat South Dakota State. We saw Baylor roll over Norfolk State. Tennessee crushed Longwood. And then, you know, you know the, the upsets by seed, I don't know if they were really upsets. 11-seeded Michigan beat Colorado State. And then Memphis, a 9, beat Boise State in 8. But, you know, Michigan and Memphis are from bigger and better conferences than the teams that they beat. So again, they're numerical upsets, but I don't know if they're upsets overall. Where things are getting wonky is what has been happening lately in the last half hour or so. Fifth-seeded Iowa is out. They lose to 12th-seeded Richmond by a score of 67-63. Richmond, who was the sixth seed in the Atlantic 10 Conference Tournament, the sixth seed from the A-10 knocks out Iowa, who's in the championship game of the Big Ten Tournament. So Richmond knocks out Iowa by four, and the number one overall seed, Gonzaga Bulldogs, leading Georgia State, the 16th seed, by just two at the half. This is not like a fluke thing where Georgia State has been in it for a few minutes. It's at halftime. 
and it's 35-33 Gonzaga. Gonzaga is the favorite in this tournament given they're the number one overall seed. The committee sees them as the best team in the country, and they are up just two on 16-seeded Georgia State. We'll keep you posted on that one as well. I will say this. I have picked UVM to win. My bracket has been submitted. I am sticking with UVM as my pick. I certainly still feel confident that UVM can win. However, what has happened today nulls my excitement and enthusiasm a little bit. I'm not going to backtrack. I'm not going to walk it back. I still believe the Catamounts can win this game. I still have picked it in my bracket. And I will tell you throughout the show all the reasons why I think that they can and will win ultimately. But I'm a little less enthused in that prediction than I was at noon today. And here's the reason why. I told you one of my big fears about UVM and Arkansas tipping off so late was that Arkansas was going to see in front of them all day long, they were going to see some carnage in the tournament and their antennas were going to get raised. And therefore, it was going to be harder to pull an element of surprise. Like when you play at noon, you play at 2.15 and the tournament's just kicking off and everybody's alive, you can pull the upset a little easier. But when you are playing at 920 and, the, and the, the big dog has had a chance to look down and see everybody falling in front of them, the element of surprise is gone. Like 16 seed Georgia State being down only two at the half to Gonzaga, Arkansas is going to know that. And they're going to know that they can't afford to start slow. Arkansas is going to see that Richmond a 12 already knocked off Iowa a five, and their antenna is going to go up. And what makes it doubly worse for me is that that Richmond-Iowa game was played in the exact same spot as UVM and Arkansas is going to be played. One, I don't know the statistical probability that we get two double-digit upsets in the same building, so that is one thing that worries me as a kind of a superstition. But two... Arkansas is going to be keenly aware that in that building, a lower-seeded team has already won. And they're going to say, that's not going to be us. So, I believe UVM can win. I believe UVM has the ingredients to win. I believe UVM has the intent to win. And I've still picked them to win. But I don't love the fact that we've already seen a 12-5 upset in that building. And now we see a number one seed semi on the ropes... And Arkansas's antennas are up. How are you feeling going into tonight's game? 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Let's 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 talk about tonight's game. Because as kind of as much nervous energy as I now have, as a catamount fan, I'm I'm so pumped for tonight. This is what you live for. If you are a Vermont native, this is what you live for. The chance for the university to be on display. The chance for the state to be on display. The chance for the program to be on display and then subsequently grow from this. And as a smaller school and a smaller state with no other Division I programs and no you know, true professional sports, like this is your shot. This is the shot 
to get exposure and to get recognition. And I can't wait for 920 to come tonight. I cannot wait for this game to tip off. And I say, you know, we're all craving that attention. I'm also craving, as I told you this week, for that second big moment, for that next big memory. I'm craving for the generational memory for the program. Sorrentine from the parking lot will live in history, and it is the memory of a lot of Catamount fans. A generation's worth of Catamount fans point to that play, and they always will. I'm looking for the next moment. I'm looking for this generation of Catamount fans, this new Catamount fan base, the Catamount students now, the kids in Vermont that are 8 years old, that are 12 years old, that are 16 years old. They need their moment, and I'm looking for that moment to come tonight, and I do believe that it can. I'm not trying to be a homer. You know how it is. I've told you for for two months I don't love what the Patriots are doing. I don't love what's happening with the Red Sox right now. I'll tell you how it is. I'll tell you exactly how I feel, and I'm not being a homer here. I really do believe that tonight can be the night that that memory gets created. This team is that good. This team is that confident that they're that together. The time is now. All the ingredients are there. This team has age, fourth oldest in the country. It has experience, five seniors starting, multiple players that have played in the NCAA tournament. UVM, they have stars. And I know we don't think of low major players as stars, but they have two stars. They have the conference player of the year, two years running. And they have the guy who I think in Ben Shungu should have been the conference player of the year this year. They're not coming in with a bunch of nobodies. They're coming in with old players, with experienced players, and with the two best players in this league. Beyond that, UVM has enough depth to do this. Finn Sullivan can get double figures. Justin Mazzula can get double figures. Isaiah Powell can get double figures. Aaron Deloney can get double figures. Robin Duncan can play good defense, can rebound. Nick Fiorello can come in off the bench and play defense and rebound. Bailey Patella can can be athletic and come in and give a couple of minutes. They have enough, enough depth. Usually, the little guy runs out of steam. I don't think UVM is going to run out of steam. They have enough bodies to put into this game to to keep their heads above water. UVM also has that resume. They have the confidence and they have a togetherness. And finally, the word of the week has been intent. And this team has intent. They are intent on winning this game and head coach John Becker said it yesterday at the media availability. But I'm nervous. You know, I feel like a day before any game, you know, we have expectations that we're here to win and um, the nerves of making sure that we're prepared enough and that we have the right game plan put together. And, um, you know, so uh, in past years, I've, I've been a little looser and just kind of like happy to be here. Um, I don't feel like that this year. They're not just happy to be there. This year is different. It feels different to me. I remember a few years ago against Purdue when UVM, I believe, had gone 16-0 and in America East play. I remember thinking that UVM could win. 
But I also remember thinking that Trayvon Haynes is a junior and Anthony Lamb is a freshman. And, you know, they're very good, but this might not be the year. Maybe next year will be the year. That's how I remember thinking about that team. But this year, this feels like the time. The five seniors. Ben Shungu's story. This feels like the time. I wish we could tip off right now. Actually, I don't because I'm on the air. I wish we could tip off as soon as I get home at about 7.40. I wish I didn't have to wait until 9.20. But I'm ready. I hope that you are ready too. Because this is the chance to create another memory. To give a generation of Catamount fans, a generation of Vermonters, a memory that we all crave. A respect that we all crave. UVM has a chance to do something special tonight. They have the pieces they have the chemistry, they have the belief, they have the confidence, and they have the players, most importantly. And I do believe the coaches will have the formula. I don't love that there's already been a 12-5 upset in that building today. I don't love that Arkansas is on, on high alert here. But I do think that UVM can and will get it done. TJ says, Brady, I'm with you on the superstitious upsets. I don't like the 920 start either. And all the add all the press that's upsetting Arkansas. We're going to see a fired-up Razorback team. I really like this team a lot. think we can go far. It should be our time, but I am nervous. Go, Cats, go. I'm with you on just about everything that you just said. And, and, and trust me, Arkansas knows that they're being picked against. Eric Musselman is playing that card. I've talked to many Arkansas insiders this week. They are out to prove a point. So we're going to see what happens. Cats are going to have to take Arkansas's best shot, especially early. We'll talk more about that at about 6.05. We'll step away from basketball. We'll go into spring training. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider. He is live at spring training. He saw the Red Sox yesterday. What can he tell us about Chris Sale? Just how much can we trust him in 2022? Buster's next on DEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com as we continue to count down towards the UVM men's basketball game tonight Catamounts in Arkansas tip off 920 in the first official day of the NCAA tournament we still got a lot of baseball to cover and for once it's actual baseball with Buster Olney of ESPN Buster we get the labor agreement done last week and in the seven days since we've had all kinds of things happen how are you? Oh, I'm excited. And I'm excited about the UVM game. My bracket uh, with my son, my competition with my 17-year-old son, might hinge on the Vermont-Arkansas game. You know who I picked. Of course. Like, as a, as a native of Vermont, of course they pick UVM. <laughs> well, I did as well. So we'll see what happens. Rooting for the Catamounts for sure. So, look, let's talk about baseball. You're in Florida right now. You were at Red Sox camp yesterday. You're going to see the Red Sox and Rays play tomorrow in the second game of the Grapefruit League season. We know that Chris Sale is injured. We know he's not going to be ready for opening day. This is now a fairly extensive injury history with Chris Sale. At this point, is he a guy that fans should be counting on? Uh, I, I, I think big picture, 
that he will he will do good things for the Red Sox this year. And, and that's, you know, yesterday, listening to Alex Cora talk about the situation, that's what he was focused on. Uh, that we know, at least this is Alex's perspective, that the Red Sox know that Chris's arm is, is good. Uh, he was throwing well before he suffered this injury, which is an outlier injury. You don't hear about, you know, pitchers suffering a, a stress fracture in a rib cage, uh, you know, while pitching. Um, but, uh, you know, let's face it, he, he does have a long history of injuries, and he has that unusual body where he's like, you know, six foot two and weighs 110 pounds wet. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see how he is physically. Uh, just hearing Chris yesterday, he was completely accountable and, and expressing frustration of, you know, how he hates the idea. He's now going to continue to watch other people do what he considers to be his job while he's getting paid. But uh, I also think that Alex is right, um, you know, in, in speaking with reporters yesterday, that time is on their side. You know, it's 162 games, and, and if Chris sails back and pitching by May 15th, and that, that's the time frame I would put on it based on what I heard yesterday, there, there's plenty of time for them to, uh, to find a way to win the division. I have multiple questions about the Red Sox right now. I'll give you a choice as to what you think is the, more, is the biggest pressing question. One, is Jackie Bradley Jr. really going to play 162 games in the outfield for this team? Two, can Christian Arroyo really play 162 games as the everyday second baseman? And three, what exactly is the state of the bullpen? We don't know what's up with Matt Barnes right now mentally after what happened last year. And if Hauk or Whitlock have to slide in to fill in for sale, that's going to weaken the bullpen too. Yeah, I saw Hauk, by the way, throw yesterday. Man, is he nasty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like his stuff is nasty. You know, he'll be good uh, about Jackie Bradley Jr. I don't think he'll play 162. I don't think they're counting on him to be an everyday player. I, I think that when the Red Sox make a move here in the in the days ahead before opening day, and I think they will, it'll be for somebody like Ramon Laureano. Mm. Uh, and they'll have some outfield depth. You know, between uh, Kike Hernandez and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Alex Verdugo, uh, you know, and a Laureano, I think they'll, they'll have depth in their outfield. And I think they'll have a really good defensive outfield. Um, uh, I, you know, in the infield, you know, maybe they'll find some way to, you know, add some depth there. I, I must say that I, I feel like that the Red Sox blew it with Freddie Freeman. Yeah. That to me would have been a great signing. And at some point, and I know, you know, and Heim is a, Heim Bloom is a great guy, uh, but I just don't think he's aggressive enough for the market. Uh, I don't think he, uh, you know, uses the muscles that the Red Sox potentially have as a big market team in the way that he can. And maybe over time, as Andrew Freeman has done with the Dodgers going from the race, he'll do that. But, you know, I looked at Freddie Freeman. First off, I, don't, I can't think of a hitter since Wade Boggs, whose swing is more perfectly suited for Fenway. You could have brought him in this year. Uh, he, you know, play first base. J.D. Martinez, uh, his contract expires at the end of the year. Freddie could have graduated after this year into a part-time first base, part-time uh, DH-type role, which meant that he wouldn't necessarily block the young first baseman, Dahlbeck and Cassis. Uh, and you could handle it payroll-wise, especially you know, knowing that Nathan Evaldi's up after this year, uh, especially you know, given you know, some of the other challenges they have in the infield and what you're going to do with Bogarts, what you're going to do with Devers. This is a win-now team in a division in which – the, the competition is is extreme. 
the Yankees are got have gotten better, in my opinion. Their defense has gotten better. The Blue Jays are dangerous. They just added Matt Chapman. I, I've been surprised that the Red Sox have been as passive they've been to this point. Freddie Freeman would have been a great signing. And when you see where his numbers landed with the Dodgers, uh, you know, five years, 162, that's something, in my opinion, the Red Sox should have done. Six years, 162. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show every single Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, the, the Red Sox certainly have been more passive. I thought maybe they'd be in on Freeman. I thought maybe they would be in on Saya Suzuki, who ended up going to the Cubs. But as you said, the Blue Jays are going for it, and you've got the Blue Jays in the World Series, I heard last night. Yep. Uh, I think that that's a team on the rise. You and I talked at the end of the, the last regular season. Uh, about how when the playoffs started, I you know I talked to people with the Yankees and the Red Sox who were relieved the Ray, the uh, Jays didn't make it because they thought that that was the most dangerous team down the stretch. They did lose Robbie Ray, the Young Award winner, but they signed Kevin Gossman, they signed Yusei Kikuchi, and I'm convinced that by the time we get to opening day, they will get a left-handed hitter into that lineup, and maybe they'll you know trade the prospects necessary to get Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, they will do something to help balance out that lineup. That is a scary offense. And let's face it, everything going on with a vaccination situation, potentially a huge competitive advantage for the Jays, where you've got team members of the Red Sox and the Yankees who are not vaccinated. Uh, and, you know, according to the Canadian uh, mandate, uh, they will not, uh, those players will not be allowed to come in and play against the Blue Jays. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, do we know if that is a year-long policy, or is it like everything else COVID-related, where it could change in a week, a month, three months? Right, exactly. I think, uh, you know, as I have talked about with my son, uh, when he complains about, you know, various, uh, you know, rules in place <laughs> and how the rules change, and I'm like, well, welcome to 2022, yeah. when everyone is sort of figuring this stuff out on the fly, uh, which is why as we sit here today with that mandate, um, you know, it's possible that it'll change. But the one thing I think we've seen, and I'm speaking outside of my realm here, I, I fully acknowledge that, uh, the Canadian government has been uh, relatively conservative in its handling of this and it, it conservative slash aggressive in trying to do all it can to, to uh, limit the number of COVID cases in, in their country. Uh, let me talk about a non-ALE storyline. I'm confused as to what the Rockies are doing. On one hand, I applaud them for being a relatively small market team that spent money to go get Chris Bryant yesterday. On the other hand, they literally are letting Trevor Story go when they could have signed him to a relatively similar deal, and they paid Nolan Arenado, their franchise cornerstone, to go away just last offseason. So what exactly is their philosophy here? Uh, that is a question that people around baseball are asking uh, all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, I, I tweeted out yesterday that, you know, the uh, shock over the Bryant deal within the baseball injury uh, industry on a scale of one to 10 is, uh, you know, has been turned up to 11. And then my colleague Jeff Passon followed up and said, how about 11,000? Mm. Uh, you know, because you know, as one person indicated to me, like, do the Rockies even watch baseball? Because, um, you know, not only the questions you just asked about, how does that fit in, in a, to – you know, the other decisions they've made, you know, the handling of Arnato, trading him to the Cardinals, eating a whole bunch of his contract, uh, letting Story go, you know, the, it, playing in the National League West with the Dodgers and Giants are in a dominant position. And the biggest thing, I think the, the biggest reason why people were confused yesterday about this signing is that Bryant has 
had a downward trajectory for a while. Like the perception of him as a player has changed dramatically since he was the National League MVP and since the Cubs won the World Series. The feeling is is that you know he's not really that good of a third baseman anymore when he plays there. He's not a good outfielder. He now moves to a ballpark which has the most outfield acreage in, in baseball, uh, and and so I, I actually early in the offseason had evaluators saying, yeah, you know he, he he'll be doing well if he gets a hundred million dollars. And the Rockies nearly doubled that. Wow. And uh, so I, I think people were shocked uh, by it, mostly because of what they feel like that the you know the, the Rockies are going to struggle to get what they paid for in paying uh, Chris Bryant twenty six million dollars a year. You're happy for him, great deal for him. His agent Scott Boris obviously did a great job in getting that type of contract. But it was a shock to people in the industry. Well, Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. I see the uh, CBA and the draft lottery did nothing to disincentivize the uh, no. Reds and A's from selling off assets. No, and we talked about this ahead of time, uh, you know, as we were going along here. Like, the idea of a draft lottery uh, discouraging the Orioles or the Reds, you know, from, from tanking was ridiculous. Uh and we're seeing that play out. Look, it's baseball where, you know, you don't necessarily have LeBron-type players where you can project them in and getting the number one overall pick versus the number four pick has is perceived to have as much value. And so the Reds, because tanking really wasn't addressed in the CBA, it seems like their owners like, well, you know what, take our payroll back to as low as possible. We're going to make a, a, a ton of money. We'll pick it uh, near the top of the draft, and uh, you know, no matter what happens, we'll know we're go- we know we're going to cash in. The Orioles are going to do that again this year. Uh, you know, anywhere from two to six teams might be essentially tanking by year's end. It's a terrible problem for baseball, and I can't believe not only the players didn't address it, but I can't believe the owners didn't address it because there are a lot of people in the sport who can't stand it. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, Grapefruit League opener today for the Red Sox. It was just a couple of hours ago. Buster's going to be there tomorrow to see the Red Sox and the Rays play each other. So, Buster, enjoy your Florida swing. Enjoy the Catamount game tonight, and we'll talk next week. All right, Brady. Thank you. Absolutely. Buster Olney live in Florida. Red Sox did win that Grapefruit League opener, by the way, 12-1, to demolishing the Twins. Bobby Dahlbeck had a homer. We'll play back some of the highlights probably tomorrow as we get into more of our Red Sox discussion. We will have some stuff on Chris Sale later in the show. Buster, pretty harsh on Haim Bloom. I think tomorrow is a conversation for us to really go over what Buster said. But he said, basically, he's not aggressive enough for the marketplace. Is that true or is that false? We're gonna, now, we got to get the crew to cut that up, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, and we can kind of posture on it for, for a day or so. But Buster was was hard on Haim Bloom. Now, I've always been a huge Haim Bloom defender. Even last year when intern Jack was giving me grief about High and Bloom, I have always had High and Bloom's back. I believe in his plan long-term. But are his long-term goals impacting his short-term goals? We will talk about that tomorrow, or rather what should be short-term expectations. So good stuff from Buster, though. We'll talk about Sale later in the show. He's got some, you know, a lot. Buster said a lot of stuff there. Ramon Laureano potentially. I think Ramon Laureano was still suspended right now. For PEDs. Again, a lot of stuff tomorrow. Uh, An update on the NCAA tournament. 14 minutes left in that game. Top seeded Gonzaga can't pull away from 16th seeded Georgia State. It is 52 to 51 Zags now at the 14 minute mark. These teams have played even 
in the second half. When you look at uh, Georgia State right now, they got three players in double figures. Drew Timmy has 20 for Gonzaga, but uh, not a whole lot else going on from the top seed. When we come back in, I've got a key to the game and a player to watch for UVM tonight as they get ready for Arkansas. I'll tell you both of those. That's next on WDEV. In heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Thank you, Freddie. Welcome back into the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When the show is over, you can always check out our full show podcast. All of our exclusive interviews are available there, as are our full shows. The podcast is available for free on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. There is one key, and there is one person that we need to focus on that we haven't really talked yet about when it comes to UVM and Arkansas tonight. Tip-off, 9.20, 3 hours and 15 minutes from now. UVM, Arkansas, 13-seeded Catamounts, 4-seeded Razorback. There's one major key and one major player we have not spoken about this week. I'm going to tell you both of them. I'm going to start with the key first. The key to the game, one of the keys to the game that we haven't addressed yet, and I think it's an absolutely critical part of this game tonight, is what happens in the first five minutes. What happens in the first five minutes of the game is huge. Whenever you play a game like this, that first five minutes is so crucial. UVM cannot win this game in the first five minutes. But UVM absolutely can lose it in the first five minutes. You hear that in baseball, right? You can't win the division in April, but you can lose it in April. Same principle applies here. UVM cannot win the game in the first five minutes. They can lose it. Whenever a power conference team takes on a lower-seeded underdog, I always worry about the first five minutes because if I were running a power five team, I'd be looking to overwhelm the little guy early. I'd be looking to overpower them early. I'd be looking for that shock and awe treatment. Like if I am Arkansas... I want to come out, I want to run, I want to establish physicality, I'd be looking to press, I'd be looking to turn you over, and I'd be looking to take UVM out of its rhythm. If Arkansas goes by my plan and succeeds, and all of a sudden the first five minutes into the game they're up 13-2, to well then that game's pretty much over. Not a guarantee it's over, but it's pretty much over. If UVM can survive the first five minutes then we're going to have a ball game, and then UVM has a chance to win. If we go to the first media timeout, and there's 15, 20 left in the first half, and it's 10 to 8 on either side, we're in for a nail-biter. If we go to the first media timeout, and there's 15, 20 left, and Arkansas is up 17 to 4, you could probably go to bed early. I don't understand why more power conference teams don't try to just establish dominance early. Oftentimes, they're content to just just play in the half court and try to play tough, and then the little guy hits a couple shots, and the big guy gets in foul trouble, and all of a sudden, you look up, and what's happening to Gonzaga right now is happening. It's 62-58 to 58 Gonzaga with 10 minutes left in the game. You can't afford to let the little guy hang around like that. If you can overwhelm them early, if you can bury them early, 
well, then you can coast the rest of the way. That's what I would do if I were Arkansas. I would blitz Vermont, press, try to turn them over, turn that defense into offense, get up 13-2, to 17-4, 20-8. That's what I would look for in the first couple of minutes. I don't know if they're going to do it. Now, John Neighbors, who is a radio host in Arkansas at 103.7 The Buzz, I spoke to him earlier this morning. I asked him about that style. I think it's more get to the basket. Like, they're very, like, obviously defensive-minded, and they want to be aggressive with teams and force a lot. But, you know, they're, they're just they're known for their defense more than their offense. Like, they use that length for defensively. Like, Trey Wade is one of those starters. Dude doesn't score ever. Like, he may have a couple games here and there where he'll get eight points, but he doesn't score. Audis Tony, he's had some good games, but they have zero plays that get run for him. So John says they're more about defense than offense, but he went on to tell me, like, I don't think they're going to press. And I think that's a mistake. I think that plays into UVM's hands. If UVM can get in the half court and be unimpeded in that, they can just run their sets and, and get shots off that are good shots, then they absolutely can win this game. I'll believe it when I see it. John says, I don't think they're going to press. I will believe it when I see it. But that would always be my plan if I were a Power 5 team playing against a lower-seeded underdog. Try to get out. I mean, think about this logically. If you're driving and your kid, your son or daughter, plays high school basketball, and if the varsity team is playing the JV team in a game, well, it would be really bad for everybody if the JV team beat the varsity team, wouldn't Like, that would be horrible. We know that. Like, we'd start getting parents calling, well, why is my kid on JV and not on varsity? Varsity's not that good, blah, 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 blah. It would be a mess. So the varsity team has to beat the JV team. What's the quickest way to ensure victory? Go out, overwhelm them, get up 20 to 6, and then we just and then that's it. And the game's over. That's what I would that's what I would always do if I were in the situation that Arkansas is in, the situation that Gonzaga is in currently, the situation that uh, you know, Tennessee was in where they beat Longwood by like 40 today. That, that's what I would do. Maybe Arkansas won't do it, but that plays into UVM's hands. But the first five minutes is critical. If UVM gets up 14-8 to at the first media timeout, it's not over. If Arkansas gets up 16-3, to it's probably over. First five minutes is huge. Watch for it tonight. So that's one key. Now one player for UVM that's going to be key tonight. And it's a guy we haven't really spoken about all week. It's a guy we don't talk about a lot, but he's going to play a big role today, I feel, and that's Nick Fiorillo. Nick Fiorillo is a guy we do not talk about a lot. We have not focused on it all this week. I'm focusing on him today. Nick Fiorillo will need to play a critical role tonight. Arkansas starts four players that are six foot six or above. They have one player who's six foot ten. They have size. UVM does not have a lot of size. Nick Fiorello is going to have to be somebody that can come off the bench, can play minutes, can contribute, and can play defense and can rebound. I don't necessarily care if Nick Fiorello scores. If he gives me six points tonight, absolute gravy. I will be tickled to death by it. But if he scores zero and plays me 13 good minutes, where he rebounds, he plays defense, and his guys offensively don't crush him, then 
I will I will come here tomorrow and call him a major unsung hero if they win this game because Arkansas knows that Ryan Davis is the America East Conference Player of the Year. They know he is the two-time America East Conference Player of the Year. They are going to work him hard. They are going to make him work offensively. They are going to try to tire him out. They are probably going to go at him defensively to tire him out and try to get him in foul trouble. They are going to try to make life very difficult for Ryan Davis. Nick Fiorillo has to be there to help. Whether that help is Davis gets a two-minute breather and Fiorello comes in and the whole thing doesn't go to hell, that's one way. Whether it's they're both on the floor at the same time and Fiorillo takes some of the defensive pressure off Davis so that Davis can play on offense more, that's one way he can help. Whether or not Davis gets in foul trouble and Fiorillo has to play extended minutes and, and keep things afloat, that's one way that he could help. But Ryan Davis is going to have his hands full today. Nick Fiorillo needs to take a load off of his plate. And he has the ability to do that. Nick Fiorillo is good. If he scores six, uh, I don't know, I'll do jumping jacks tomorrow for all I care. He's He doesn't need to score. But if he plays good defense and he can rebound, then he's going to end up being a big part of tonight's game. Uh, he has the ability to be an unsung hero. They're going to need him. UVM, I was just looking here. We got, you know, we got WCAX on in the studio. And Jack Fitzsimmons, the sports director there, is out in Buffalo. And he's saying, you know, something that's flashed on the screen. UVM thinks their depth tonight can help against Arkansas. Nick Fiorillo is part of that. Nick Fiorillo, I think that UVM will play eight players today. Eight players will, will have a significant role today. Your five starters, Nick Fiorillo, Aaron Deloney, and Robin Duncan. Maybe Bailey Patella gets in this game for a little bit because of because of his athleticism. Cam Gibson can maybe get in this game because he can shoot the three, and that might be a strategy UVM does. But I think really eight guys are going to be hugely important today, and Fiorillo is one of them. How are you feeling out there? 802-585-3026. I'm looking forward to it. We're about three hours away right now. Checking in on other March Madness action. Gonzaga, I wouldn't say they're pulling away, but they are separating a bit from Georgia State. The Zags are up 66-58 to with about 9.15 left in that game. So top seeding Gonzaga was only up two at the half against Georgia State, the Panthers. And then uh, it was 52-52 to at one point not that long ago, but the Zags have gone on a 14-6 to run since then. Elsewhere, I mean, right now, UNC is just crushing Marquette. That's an 8-9 game, and UNC is up 74-48 on the Golden Eagles. And in that one, for UNC, 25 points from Brady Manick, 21 from Caleb Love, and 15 from Armando Baycott. Tar Heels are, the ACC has been really down this year. Tar Heels, average year, right? 24-9, decent record but not a very good conference. You wouldn't expect them to necessarily go far in this tournament, but they are crushing right now over Marquette. Uh, elsewhere in the next round of games, 6:50 tonight, New Mexico State and UConn, 7:10 St. Peter's in Kentucky, then uh, Indiana and St. Mary's at 7:20. Next year we need to be doing this show, this day's show live from a bar, don't we? Next year 
We need to be watching. We need to be doing this show live from McGillicuddy's across the street and inviting the listeners. Hey, come watch the games with us. That's what we need to be doing next year. St. Patrick's Day is today. I did a show. I'm pretty sure it's actually really funny. I've done multiple shows on you know on tournament days where we do like watch parties like that at bars. The very first time I ever got to host a full afternoon show was on a St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how I lost my voice completely. My voice was so stressed and so strained. I was part time. I was filling in. It was at a station in Albany, right? And they're like, "Hey, so and so's on vacation, or so and so sick. Can you do the show?" I couldn't barely talk. I was literally sucking down tea with honey. I was sucking down boiling hot water just to try to get my throat back. I did the show for the four hours, could barely talk, and didn't talk after for like two days. But that was on a March Madness Day at a sports bar. I did another show on a March Madness Day at a sports bar, and like the uh, the manager, like my, it was above me, right? Like he was like two bosses above me. He was the head of the whole building. He didn't own this company because we were corporately owned, but he was like the, the head of the company, the go-between between us and the actual corporate people. He bought me and the co-host a six-pack of beer over the course of the show. I'm like, what am I, am I supposed to drink all six of these beers while also talking for four hours? He's like, sure. I'm like, okay. I think I had three and the other guy had three, but still. Just brings over a cooler of Bud Light for us here. That, I mean, that was a that was a cool day. So, But, uh, yeah, I, I love hosting tournament watch parties. And maybe if we do it next year, maybe the boss throws us a six-pack. I won't have all six. Get the producers, interns, whoever we got. They could have a couple as long as they're of age. Get one for you, the, the listener. Next year, we should be doing today's show from a sports bar. All right, I want to get to who's saying what because this is a very interesting one. So let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. To get unlimited car washes, it's only $20 a month. If you want just one free car wash, all the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So the number 30 and then 400. Let's move to an NFL story that's not a Patriot story. It's a national NFL story. And it's a really big story today. So the Cleveland Browns are in a very precarious situation at quarterback. Here, here's where we're at. The team is looking to move on from Baker Mayfield. And the team went out and courted Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson ended up, I believe, turning down the Browns, as I understand it. It's kind of down to the Saints and Falcons at this point for Deshaun Watson. But the Browns had Baker Mayfield. They courted Deshaun Watson, so they want to move on from Mayfield. Mayfield then came out and put out a nice Instagram message. And then today, Baker Mayfield has formally requested a trade from the Cleveland Browns, and the Browns have said no. Basically, the Browns are like, we will keep you if we can't find anything better. So that is where we're at right now. Mayfield hasn't got an extension. He knows that the team has courted Watson. He has now asked for a trade, and the Browns have said, no, we're going to see what 
you know, we're, we're going to do what is in the best interest of us here. We've also heard that if the Browns don't get Watson, they're going to trade May Mayfield anyways, but they're not going to do it on his terms. They're going to do it on their own terms. So this is a whole big mess for an organization that has been one big mess for most of the last 20 years since it came back into existence. Here's former NFL general manager Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN this morning before Mayfield asked for the trade. Here's what Tannenbaum says he would have done in handling the Mayfield situation. I would look him right between the eyes and say, you know what, Baker, your job is to get better, lift weights, watch film. Me in the front office, my job is to improve this team. And Deshaun Watson's a better football player than you are. And if I'm not reaching out to him and his representative, I'm not doing my job. Now, again, there's 22 civil lawsuits. It's still a complicated situation. But I would say, Baker, you can't be sensitive. You should be worrying about being the best version of yourself we're going to do what we can. And by the way, the verb we're going to use, Baker, is we're going to scour. We are always going to look to improve every position. I don't know what the right answer exactly would have been and how you handled this whole Baker Mayfield saga. I really don't know what the right answer would have been. But I would say that the Mike Tannenbaum methodology feels wrong to me. On one hand... I can respect honesty and transparency, and that's what Tannenbaum is saying. I would look him right between the eyes and say, you know what, Baker, your job is to get better, lift weights, watch film. Me in the front office, my job is to improve this team, and Deshaun Watson's a better football player than you are. Okay, so I can, on one hand, respect honesty and transparency, and I can respect the lines of communication being open. That, that does have a place. But, and if Baker Mayfield ends up being moved, He'll probably have ended up, you know, liking that he didn't get blindsided totally. So I, I can I can make a case for the honest and transparency thing. But on the other hand, I really don't know if honesty is really the best policy in this particular case. If Baker Mayfield doesn't get traded, okay, the Browns have said they're not going to trade him. If he really doesn't get traded, you have now created an unhappy and resentful employee as evidenced by his trade request. You've told him he's not good enough. You've gone actively looking for his replacement, and now you want to bring him back into that working relationship? That is not easy. And I see a lot of people saying, oh, Baker's a baby or Baker's too sensitive. Th think about how you would have felt here. Really. If you want to call Baker sensitive, and I saw one guy call him sensitive, and I saw one guy call him a baby, and I saw Tan Tannenbaum say, you can't be sensitive. Think about how you would have felt. Okay, let, let's just use this scenario. If your girlfriend cheats on you behind your back, that's awful, right? That's, a, that's an immediate shock and awe. That's terrible, right? If you get cheated on, that's awful. Well, isn't it also awful? If your girlfriend comes to you and says, you know what, I'm not really happy in this relationship. I'm not going to dump you. You can't dump me either. I'm not going to dump you. But I am going to go on a dating service. And I am going to go on a different date every night this week and see if I find someone I like better than you. And I'll probably kiss a couple of these guys and flirt with them and see if we have any chemistry. Would you really like that? Is that you being sensitive? Is that you being a baby? Or is that you being fundamentally and undeniably PO'd and you'd have a right to? Because that's essentially what the Cleveland Browns did to Baker Mayfield. They went up, you know, in Mike Tannenbaum's world, they're going to go up to Baker Mayfield's face and they're going to say, you know what? We kind of like you. You're really not that bad. You're about a, 
you know, a six on the look scale. You got a decent personality. We've had some good times together. But I'm going to sign up for a dating service. I'm going to go look for a bunch of tens and I'll probably uh, flirt with them and fool around with them a little bit and see see what's there. And uh, if I find someone, I am going to dump you. That's not so fun either. Like, I don't think that's Baker being sensitive. I think that's Baker doing exactly what every human being would do if they were in that situation. How would you to forget girls and guys in relationships? How would you feel if your boss came to you? If, if my boss came to me and said, Brady, you're going to host the show for the rest of the week. And we really, you know, we like you and you, know, you do okay. And, uh, you know, the show's got, the station's gotten a little better with you, but, uh, we're going to hold interviews next week and we're going to see, and we're going to have some tryouts for this show. And we're going to just see, you know, if, if, if anybody's better than you. And by the way, if we find somebody that's better than you, you're going to get fired. Good luck. I would be furious. I would be sad. I would be hurt. I would be furious. And I don't think that's being sensitive. I think, I think if you took this away from football and you put it in real life, every single person would understand why Baker Mayfield is upset. The Cleveland Browns, in Mike Tannenbaum's world, and what they've actually done, they're showing Baker Mayfield that they kind of like him, but they're looking for an upgrade. And now they're saying, we're not going to let you leave this relationship, and now we may end up bringing you back. Who would want to play under those circumstances? Who would want to play in those situations? Who would want to work in that environment? If the, Cle- if the Cleveland Browns were going to go after Deshaun Watson or anybody else, honestly, I think it should have just been clandestine. He would have Mayfield would have been upset and he would have been hurt and he would have felt blindsided like he was cheated on. I think that ultimately would have been better than what is playing out right now, where he's unhappy, he's resentful, and yet you still may, at the end of all this, have to end up working together. This is not. This was not smart to me. The Browns have made a lot of strides in the last two years. They've become a more reputable franchise in the last two years. This is hearkening back to the old Browns. This is Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bungles-esque. And I don't know what the Browns should do. I don't want Deshaun Watson because of his legal issues. I don't want him being the face of my franchise, so I'd be glad that he said no. Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo... Baker himself. I don't know what the right answer is. I'd probably want Jimmy Garoppolo. The Browns are a playoff roster. They need a playoff quarterback, and Jimmy Garoppolo has been a playoff quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Joe Burrow in that division, but he's probably he's better than Baker. But just for Mike Tannenbaum to say, I'm going to look you in the eyes and tell you Deshaun Watson's a better football player than you. I mean, I don't know that honesty would be the best policy there. I, I just don't. So... Look, the business of sports is hard, but you've got to remember there are real human emotions here. And if Baker Mayfield ends up going back to Cleveland, that's going to be a really tough working environment. Like, are you taking back your girlfriend? Are you loving your girlfriend as much before as you, or as much as you did before if she tells you, hey, I'm going to go on dates every night this week and see if I can find someone better than you? Chances are probably not. You're not putting as much into that relationship. So th- this is not something I don't I don't think that Baker's being overly sensitive here. I think he's doing exactly what all of us would do and that's be upset. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Really interesting story 
out of Middlebury College regarding Middlebury women's hockey. The athletic department, the college itself rather, made a really nice gesture this week. I just don't feel like they should have had to make it. I'll explain what I'm talking about. That's next. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you very much, Field. The Brady Farkas Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at prodrivercdl.com. That's prodrivercdl.com. You can work on your Class A, get your Class B, Class C. You can also work on a passenger and advanced skills training with coursework and real-life application of that coursework. So that's ProDriverCDL.com. I want to get to that really interesting story about Middlebury College here in a second, but I do have a text on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026, saying that Mike Tannenbaum is right. Baker would make $18 million. Suck it up. Okay, here's my response to that. My response to that is, it's about principle, it's not about money. When these guys when these guys take the money, when, when athletes take all the money, they get called money hungry. When they don't have principles, when they don't have loyalty, when they don't have compassion for the fans, we all crush them, we call them money hungry. Here's a guy that's going to make $18 million, and we're saying, well, well, shut up. You just make so much money, it's okay. Well, it cannot be both ways. You can't want athletes to have emotion and not care about money on one hand and then be mad when they have emotion and don't care about money on the other. And by the way, Baker Mayfield's going to make $18 million wherever he plays this year. So whether he plays in Cleveland for $18 million or Seattle for $18 million, or Indy for $18 million. It'd be easier to say that argument if he was going to make 18 in Cleveland and four somewhere else. His contract's $18 million no matter where he plays. So whether he play, gets traded to the Seahawks or to the Colts or whether he goes to anywhere else, he's getting $18 million. So at that point, when the money's equal, I don't want to be there anymore. But we can't ask athletes to have to 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 not care about the money and act on emotion and then get mad when they act on emotion and don't care about the money. It cannot go both ways. So there you go. 802-585-3026. Thank you to that texter. This is a really fascinating story out of Middlebury College, and I would love to get people's opinion on this. So I don't know if you're all aware of this, but the women's hockey Frozen Four kicks off tomorrow, and it's being held at Middlebury College, at Kenyon Arena. So the best four women's hockey teams in the country are coming to Middlebury. Middlebury is the number one team in the nation. They're unbeaten, and they're looking for their first title since 2006. And this week, Middlebury College purchased all of the tickets for the weekend. They purchased all of them themselves in in honor of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So if you want to go to the games... You can go to the Athletics Complex beginning at 2 p.m. tomorrow and Saturday and get your free ticket. The, the school has already paid for it. I don't know how to read this story. On one hand, it seems like an incredible gesture from the school, right, to honor the 50th year anniversary of Title IX. That's how it reads on one hand. That's how they want you to see it. 
But on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily add up to me. And I'd love to know if you all think that I'm wrong out here. Because I don't know if I buy what the school is selling. The fact that it's the 50th year anniversary of Title IX, I do believe that's a convenient um, a convenient cover. But I really fear that the school bought all these tickets and then is giving them out for free because they fear they will not have a good crowd. And I hope that's not the case because this is a national championship. The Frozen Four is in the state of Vermont. A national title is going to be crowned on Saturday. You've got Plattsburgh State, a local team. You've got Middlebury College, a local team. You've got two of the four local teams here, and one of them has a chance to win a title. I would hope that they could fill, fill this place, fill Kenyon Arena, without having to buy the tickets themselves. I hope that this is not a case of, like, we fear that nobody will pay for these tickets, so we're just going to buy them ourselves and give them to everybody for free. I hope that's not the case. You know, I hear it all the time from sports people. Women's sports is boring. Women's sports isn't entertaining. Women's sports isn't as athletic. Yada, yada, yada. I hope that's not what's happening here, but I fear that that's what is happening here, that the school and the event fear that they can't generate a crowd on their own so with, by paying customers, so they need to then just give the tickets away. I hope that's not the case. Women's sports is fun. Division three women's hockey is insanely good. Middlebury's incredible. Norwich is incredible. They're not in this tournament, but they're incredible. Plattsburgh is incredible. Plattsburgh's won multiple national championships. This is a really good sport that's really growing and getting even better and better. This is a really cool event that's in our backyard. I hope that people go to it, and I wish people would go and pay for it, but evidently Middlebury College, I fear, feels that wouldn't have been the case. Now, the one thing I will say is that Middlebury College goes on spring break tomorrow. So students that might have gone, most of them are going to be gone. So now maybe Middlebury felt like they, you know, we have to entice the townspeople to come if our student body isn't there. But if a national title was going to be crowned in my town, in my state, I believe that I would go to it, whether it was women, whether it was men, whether it was Division One or Division Three. I feel I would go to it. I just don't know if Middle. I think Middlebury was fearing that not a lot of people would go, so now they're trying to give the tickets away. 802-585-3026. Does anybody feel that way with me? Am I wrong? Do you think that it is just a nice gesture by the school and honors the 50-year anniversary of Title IX? Because I, I didn't see it that way. When I first saw that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of sad. They had to buy the tickets because... They don't think that people will pay for them on their own? That was my first reaction, and I haven't been able to shake it. I I would love to be wrong, and I would love for somebody to tell me that they think that I'm wrong. But right now, nobody is telling me that. So evidently, maybe everybody thinks that I'm right on this. My PSA to you is that if you are around tomorrow afternoon, the first game is at 3, I think the second game is at 7, 
and then you're around on um, you know you're around uh, on Saturday for the title. I, I I hope that you go. Ray and Warren says, are they giving them away for everyone? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now. I don't know what the demand will be, but tomorrow, the first game is at 3 o'clock. You can show up at the Middlebury Athletic Complex as early as 2, and you can pick up your free ticket. Now, I imagine that at some point, maybe, there's a chance that enough people have gone and there are no tickets left for that game, so I suppose you could get shut out, but everybody is eligible to go. They have bought all the tickets. And they are just giving them away now. So there's a 3 o'clock game there between, I think it's Plattsburgh and Gustavus Adolphus out of uh, Minnesota. Middlebury, I believe, plays at 7. And the champion. There's a third-place game on Saturday, and then there's the national championship game on Saturday night. I hope that you will go. There's four games worth of free tickets available. And I don't want to hear that women's sports isn't as exciting. I don't want to hear that it's not as good. It's a national championship. And women's hockey is very good. And Division Three women's hockey is very, very good as well. So I, I am all in on people going to these games this weekend. I, I wish Middlebury didn't feel like they had to buy the tickets and give them away. I like to think that people would recognize the coolness in this event and they would be willing to go and pay for it on their own, but they've, they've taken the discussion out of it. You can go to these games for free at Kenyon Arena, and uh, if you've never been to Middlebury, their athletic complex is absolutely stunning. It is just unbelievable. The, 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 the rink itself is cool. The athletic complex as a whole is just phenomenal. I've seen a basketball game there. I've seen a hockey game there. I've never actually been to a Middlebury College football game, but I've seen the field, and the sight lines are just incredible. Steve says, are you going? No, the game's tomorrow. We're at 3 and 7. I'm on the air until 8. And Saturday, I do have a prior engagement. So, no. I'm not. Go- I'm also not trying to be a hypocrite, though. Like, if I was available to go, I would go on Saturday. But I am not available <laughs> because of something that I already had scheduled for a while now. So, there you go. But... I hope that you go if you are able to. They've bought the ticket already, so unless you already have a prior engagement like I do, then you know, then I encourage you to go. Like Ray and Warren, he wants to go now. So, Ray, you should go. Bring the family. All right, let's get to a little baseball. We'll end the show with some UVM stuff, but uh, let's get to baseball. Chris Sale is out. And he's out for a period of weeks, not days, Tom Karen told us yesterday. Buster Olney told us today he's hearing maybe May 15th is a realistic time frame for him to be pitching again. Now, I don't know if that means May 15th him pitching in the big leagues or May 15th him just getting on a mound again. I took it to mean May 15th in the big leagues, but we'll kind of have to get some clarity on that. This is certainly bad news for the Red Sox, and they lose their ace now for the third time in the three seasons that he's been under this massive contract extension, right? He gets Tommy John. Let's see. Actually, so he gets injured at the end of 2019. He gets injured at the end of 2019. Then, 2020, 
He misses the entirety of the COVID season. 2021, he misses a lot of the season. And now 2022, he's going to be injured as well. This is the fourth consecutive year that Chris Sale is going to be injured. He's been injured every year of his contract extension. And now, let's just leave aside the questions on Sale, of which there are many. We can get to those tomorrow as well. But let's just look at the immediate questions facing the Red Sox as a result of this. This opens up questions in both the rotation and in the bullpen, as far as I'm concerned. In the rotation, Nathan Evaldi's the one. Remember, this team lost Erod too. So now it's Erod's gone and Sale's gone for a period of time. Evaldi's the one. Nick Pavetta's the two. Rich Hill, Michael Waka, they're in there as the three and four. And then there's Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock. Who do you want to see in that fifth starter, starter spot? Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock? Here is who uh, Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, told us yesterday. I'd like to see uh, Whitlock get the nod. Houck's been really good, but Houck has still had trouble second time through the lineup, third time through the lineup. Uh, I think he's a really, really powerful weapon coming out of the bullpen for three innings, you know, for long duty, which you need now in this game. Yeah, I'm with TC also. I am starting to think I'd rather see Whitlock. And I'm a Hauk fan, and I was a really big Hauk fan last year when he started games. Hauk is good. But at this point, he's really a two-pitch pitcher. Buster said earlier he saw him pitch and he was nasty, and he is. And I think he can be a devastating starter if he gets that third pitch consistently. But right now, with that fastball-slider combo, he seems better in short doses. He seems better in two- to three-inning intervals as TC says. So I'm with TC. I'd rather see Whitlock start in that spot. He has the fastball. He has the changeup. He's got a little wrinkle in there with a little breaking ball. So I'd like to see Whitlock get a crack at that fifth starter spot too. But not only does the sale injury bring questions about to the starting rotation, it bring questions about to the bullpen too. Because let's say you put Whitlock in the rotation like TC and I want, you have just lost a high-leverage reliever. And you already had questions in the bullpen. Now, you added Jake Diekman, who I like. I like Diekman very much, actually. I think he's going to be good. But you lost Adam Adovino. He went to the Mets. He was a high-leverage reliever for you. If you bring Whitlock into the rotation, you will have lost him as a high-leverage reliever. Hauk will then have to maybe become more of a high-leverage reliever than he was, so now he's in a different spot within the bullpen, and we still don't know what's up with Matt Barnes. So this sale injury sets off a chain of events here that lead the Red Sox to a lot of questions. Questions in my rotation about how I handle my fifth starter spot and questions in my bullpen now about where everybody slots, and who exactly can I trust at the end of the game? I don't know if I can trust Matt Barnes yet. Deekman is a guy I can trust late, but he's never really been a good closer type. And then, you know, now Whitlock's gone. Whitlock was a guy who was serving as my closer last year, and now he's gone if he enters my rotation. Maybe the Red Sox put Hauk as the starter and put Whitlock as the closer. Maybe they do that. But nonetheless, there's a chain reaction that is set off by this Chris Sale injury. It's the Brady Farkas Show. We're going to have more on Sale, more on High and Bloom, more on what Buster had to say. We're going to do all of that tomorrow. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.
We'll give you an update on what's happening around the NCAA tournament. We'll give you some of the latest scores here. And we'll get you our last words on UVM. Catamounts in Arkansas tonight, 920, less than three hours from now. Go Cats, go, baby. I'll talk to you about the last things you need to know. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Some scuttle around the internet world that the uh, that uh, Deshaun Watson's going to go play for the Falcons. That has not been confirmed by anybody that you would like to, um, you know, see confirm it. So, but there is some talk about Deshaun Watson waving his no trade clause to join uh, clause to join the Atlanta Falcons. It would make mild sense in the sense that Watson is from Georgia, um, played at Clemson nearby, so that would I'm sure tug at the heartstrings a little bit for him. The Falcons right now don't profile to be a particularly good team, but I don't know if that really matters right now. Deshaun Watson's also got an image problem more than a football problem at the moment. Maybe going home would be more favorable in terms of reception for him. I don't know, but we'll have more on that tomorrow if and when it does happen. Around March Madness right now, a couple games have gone final. Gonzaga did end up pulling away in the second half. They beat Georgia State 93-72, to so they end up winning by 21. It was certainly closer than that for 30 minutes. UNC rolled Arkansas by 32, 95, I'm sorry, UNC rolled Marquette 95-63, to winning that one by 32. Game getting ready to tip off New Mexico State and Connecticut. UVM takes on Arkansas tonight. At 9:20, that is the game in Buffalo after New Mexico State and Connecticut. Last word for this game: the player you need to watch tonight for UVM is Finn Sullivan. That's the guy that, if UVM is going to win, that's the guy that needs to step up and needs to have a day. I've said it all year: your stars have to play like stars. Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis have to be excellent. One of them's got to get 20. The other's got to get at least 15. They may both need to get 20 in order for you to win. But between the two of them, they need at least 35 points, I would say. 35 to 40 points at least have to come from Davis and Shungu. You're going to need a third guy. And for me, that third guy is Finn Sullivan. He's shown the ability to get real hot from deep this year. I believe the best way for UVM to win this game is to shoot the three ball, to shoot it early, to shoot it often, to take a high volume of them, and to hit them. Finn Sullivan has the ability to get really, really hot. He can shoot the three. He can make the three. He had multiple games this year, over 20 points. He had 14 in the America East title game. He can really be that oven for the Catamount offense. Davis and Shungu need to be great. Sullivan's the guy who needs to come in and be that third guy. And Ryan McLaughlin, the UVM radio broadcaster over at Learfield Sports, he told me yesterday that was his guy to watch as well. I'm looking at Finn Sullivan again. I think this team, when he is aggressive, they play at a different level of intensity. He is the most emotional player on this team, maybe right there with Justin Mazzula. You can feel the emotion of Finn Sullivan when he's going right. 
So he, to me, when Vermont is at their best, it's Finn Sullivan that is making threes, drawing charges. Sullivan is an emotional player. He is a guy who is capable offensively. He's done it this year. He's a he's a transfer. He's a senior. He's got experience. He's been through adversity in his career. This could be the game where he shows out on the national stage, and Vermont's going to need it. Again, I've got UVM winning this game. I've got them winning it 72-69. to Let's just kind of play it out here. If, let's just say Davis and Shungu get 40 points between them. 40 points between the two of them. I've got UVM at 72. Where are the rest of the points going to come from? If Sullivan gets 14 again, now we're at 54 of the 72. Can Isaiah Powell, Robin Duncan, Aaron Deloney, Justin Missoula, Nick Fiorillo, can they com- Cam Gibson, can they combine to get the other 18 points? I would say yes, they can. That is my assumption that those other players can get to the other 18. But I think that's what UVM is going to need tonight. 40 total, 35 to 40 total from Davis and Shungu. 14 from Sullivan, and then 18 to 20 from everybody else. The one guy I wouldn't expect to see a bunch from today, that is Deloney. Arkansas starts four players, 6'6 six, six or above. I think, they're, I think their other guard is like 5'7", so there is a short player out there for Arkansas. Deloney is not very big. I don't... Deloney could be a guy you could easily expose on defense against a bigger team. He's going to have a hard time getting his shot off. He's certainly not going in the lane amongst the trees. So I would not expect Deloney to play big minutes tonight. I would not. I would expect to see Cam Gibson maybe more than Deloney because he's a little bit bigger, a little less slender. That's just my thought. I don't have any inside knowledge on that. But if I'm John Becker, I'm looking away from Deloney today and maybe more towards Cam Gibson. But Finn Sullivan is the guy you really need to watch for. All right, that's it for the Brady Farkas Show. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Appreciate everybody tuning in today. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Stay safe out there, but do have fun. If you're watching the Cats tonight, and you should be, 9.20 on TNT. We'll recap everything tomorrow. Go, Cats, go. It's time to make that next memory. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's WDEV. VSCCU 